plus chirp is officially a non movie shaming podcast. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? It is Wednesday, July 29th, back with the boys. Baseball's back, but it's on its rock. really. Yeah, so... <laughs> kind of back. Uh, we'll dive into that here in a second, but Mitch, what's going on, man? How have you been since uh, we last spoke? Pretty disappointed in the baseball news today, so we'll uh, dive a little bit into that, but I'm uh, a little upset. Baseball, I don't know if baseball is back. We're not sure. We don't know. I don't know. I, I really don't know, Tom. Kind of on a, I think we're just on a break. That's <laughs> all it is. I mean, that's all it is. We're just dipping our toes in the water a little bit. We're just getting but I mean, used see, to it. Ross, Ross thought they were on a break in Friends, and you see that, how that turned out, Jack. So, <laughs> You are on a break. We're on a break. All right. Well, let's, let's get into that here in a second. Jack, what's going on, man? How's your uh, last week been? Uh, last week has been good, except I woke up today just a little sad. I feel like I haven't woken up with bad news in a while. It's all been good news. And we got some sad, sad baseball news. So let's get into it. Quickly, before we get into baseball news, get you up and up and up. Um, Merch came in today, so that's exciting. Thank you to everyone that supported us. Get that sent out here in the next week or so. Um, So look for that in your guys' mailboxes. Um, But couldn't appreciate you guys more. We're excited to get that sent out and see some plush chirp gear getting wrapped around the the area. So... um, yeah, but let's talk baseball. We've already kind of jumped into it. Um, it's Monday that we're talking about this, so we're talking about the fact that the Mariners kind of fuck shit up. The Marlins. Marlins. But I don't like. It's so hard to be mad at one team because wasn't this? We were just delaying the inevitable. Like, why was the MLB not in a bubble to start? Why isn't Adam Silver running every single professional sports league in America? Well, dude, that's what I'm saying. I'm seeing messages, you know, baseball or uh, hockey guys are in in Canada right now and they're just entering their bubble. NBA guys have been in theirs for quite some time now. And the NHL just listed after 4,000 tests, not a single person tested positive. Like, come on. And by the way, like aside from baseball, there's just no rules in Florida. Like all the crazy shit that comes out of America usually comes from Florida. So it doesn't surprise me at all that the Marlins were the ones that – had this thing happen to him, but you're right, Tom. I don't know if there was something in the the paperwork for the for the MLB or not that listed. I think the players were anti bubble. Am I right on that? I don't, I don't know. I just don't understand how there's so many steps to get baseball back, and there's so many steps through the health protocol, and there's so many steps to get this season back on board, and then we just say, okay, everything looks good. Let's go ahead and let. Um, 30 some odd people travel seven days a week throughout their region. I don't want to be like too negative on it because obviously nothing's for sure uh, canceled. But I mean, with the Marlins, uh, they canceled the Phillies game. I believe it was what New York Phillies this week. They rescheduled that. Um, So it just caused a chain reaction. Like you said, Jack, it's not any one team's fault. It is kind of funny that it's a team out of Florida. I mean, that, I mean, like, can't, I'm out on cancel culture, but. We may need to cancel Florida just as a state, not the team, just the state of Florida. Yeah, we need yeah. To that. We need Florida needs to take like a thirty-minute timeout. Yeah, just just like nose in the corner, think about what you did here. The reason why they didn't do a bubble initially had to come down to the fact that Arizona was going to be one of the places they would play, 
And if they're going to keep all these guys down there trying to get in as many games as possible, they thought that a 116-degree weather game wasn't going to be fair to some of these teams. So That is so soft. If you <laughs> can't handle don't. the heat, then you're going to have to take the heat once COVID gets into the league, and now we're sitting at the same spot. Like, hindsight, just let these guys play outside in Arizona. It would have made things so much easier. Their point is that they couldn't have gotten in as many games as they wanted to because they would have only had access to X amount of fields. But regardless of the fact, it's stupid. Like, it's just going to cause problems. And is MLB going to make it through the season? I have no idea. This just put a wrench in so many different, you know, areas of the game and getting it through a full season. Um, so I'm not going to lie. I, I still think they will. I think it's just going to, I think we're going to limp to the playoffs. I think we're going to limp to the end of the season because what you can do theoretically is just start playing double headers later in the year. And like, that's probably what's going to happen. These guys have what three off days in 63 days. Aren't they playing something like 60 games in 63 days? I looked it so, up. The Cubs have four off days in August. I don't know what that looks like for every other team in the MLB, but I assume it's probably similar to that. So probably about six six days in like 60 games are not being played. So I, I wouldn't mind seeing two sevens for these canceled games. Any canceled games, just play two sevens. College style, gotta, baby. Got to do something, man. Got to do something. Two sevens plays. It always has. I mean, yeah, this is the right. year of just throwing it all together, so who cares? But I don't want to get too caught up on that. What about, you know, the positives of baseball? First week back, it's kind of fun. I mean, um, it's unique. You're getting some CGI in there. You're getting fans in the outfield. You're getting cut out. Um, the guys are loving it. They're hooting and hollering, you know, and it's it's making that much ban- banter that much more fun. But um, what are your, your first little initial thoughts? Well, I thought it ran really smooth, and that's a, a good point you bring up, Tom. Um, in the Cubs-Brewers game, there was a little scuffle after the dugouts could hear each other talk, which is something they're not used to. So I think we'll see a lot of that. Make sure you have your mask six foot distance when you argue calls. But the animated uh, versus empty seats conversation. So we put a poll up on our Instagram page and quite a few people voted. And it was heavy favorite for empty seats. And that is so dumb. As in yeah, you don't I don't want to attack our followers here, Jack, but... You're right. That's really dumb. What are that we doing? Dumb. Okay, so to 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 back them, I actually was one of the people that voted for empty seats. I mean, I think it's funny, but I if you're gonna do it, it just looks so tacky to have a side angle camera where you can see the pitcher and like the left field baseline, and um, have no fans there, and then to pop out and be like a bunch of just you know wiggly bodied fans from MLB the show out in the outfield. I thought that part was kind of tacky. If you can somehow figure out how to get, you know, fake fans throughout the whole time, whether that's putting cutouts in the left field and right field baselines, you know, uh, or down the baseline. Um, and so that like on the sides, you don't have that look, weird looking thing. But if you're going to keep going back and forth, fans, no fans, I was kind of just like, what the hell is going on here? I mean, Tom, we got, we got Bluetooth, so I'm sure we can do that. I'm sure we could do it, but you're having some intern at MLB TV throw together something <laughs> quick, and he's like, oh, this looks so sick. So, I don't know. I thought it was good. It at least like made it look sweet when home runs are getting hit out to the outfield. But um, So, kudos to them to try and make it as real as possible, but I thought it was a little bit tacky at first. Yeah, I'm sure it's. I'm sure that whole piece was kind of on the back burner when they were getting the season started. I don't. I'm, I'm sure they didn't really think much about that until like a week ago when they're like, "Oh, we're actually going to play baseball. Let's try to figure this thing out." 
So hopefully they get a little bit creative with it. I love it. I'm all for it. Let's get a plus chirp logo. I am behind, too. I uh, think it's cool. Home plate at Wrigley. You would think you would think they would do something with ads in that sense, like have a bunch of fans out there with you know Home Depot shirts and Miller Lite shirts and throw your throw your ad up there and let people rock it type deal. You can't just take your two favorite brands off the top of your head and just say put an ad for Home Depot. And God, dude, I am a I'm turning into a dad. You're I really like, am. I just said that. I'm like, I, I mean, a few months ago, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm seeing the signs. I'm turning into a dad a little bit, dad without a kid. But that that seals the deal right there, man. Home Depot and Miller Lite's the first thing that came to mind. Did I bring this up in the other episode or not? I might have, but um, my roommate and I were talking about something that'd be kind of a fun idea, a little sweepstake where you could throw fans out in the outfield. If you get hit by a ball, you know, like throw it like $25 for each seat in the outfield. You have your little cutout out there. If you get hit by a ball, you win like a thousand or something like that. Maybe I had that on last week's episode. Did I talk about that? I still you did think not, that needs. That's a great idea. I think that needs to be a thing, right? It'd be sweet. It'd be a good way to get people involved. You'd be kind of excited for home runs, juice the balls even more. Because holy shit! First of all, we didn't even talk about this. There's been so many runs scored, especially in Chicago over the weekend. I want to say it was like. 10-2, 13-something, like Twins, White Sox. Cubs were putting up big numbers. Brewers put up big numbers in game two. If we're going to have baseball, at least we're having it in an exciting fashion. So, um, you know, with all these dingers that are getting hit, why not throw some sweepstakes in the middle of it too? <laughs> Imagine the guy that's got to set up those those cutouts every game, just going going through the bleachers, putting up cutouts every single game. That is a tough job, tough summer job. Yeah, I think the executives, they all watch Long Gone Summer together, and they're like, oh, people get crazy over home runs. All right, juice the balls. We're going to start doing creatine again, more testosterone pills inside the clubhouse. Here we go. Let's roll it over to our scouting report. This week, we're going to talk about rewatchable movies. So movies that you can just kind of throw on at any time, whether that's on TV or on Netflix, on DVD, Anything rewatchable movies. So this scouting report is brought to you by Goat Baseball. Head over to their website, G-O-A-T-B-S-B-L.com, and use code CHIRP15 for 15% off your purchase. Goes great with the plush chirp hat. They got a lot of awesome gear over there. Um, get all swagged up for your summer and get get ready for fall. So let's dive into it. Jack, Tommy, Mitch, rewatchable movies. Miracle, Mike Ruzioni. Fuck. Mike Ruzioni. That was on there for me, for sure. United States of America. I didn't think anyone and was going to take that. All I know, Jack, is I didn't even put it on my list because I knew I wasn't going first, and I knew you would take it before I went. <laughs> so I was didn't even say, write it's either, that. It's either that or you're not an American. <laughs> well, I'm an American, so. Okay. So that well, was I, on mine, um, and I talked to you about this. As I said, all of mine were comedies and didn't want all comedies, and so that one was definitely up there, so I'm screwed. Um Rolling in at the number one spot for me is Step Brothers. It's it's the most basic rewatchable movie there is, but you have to have it on there. So, Step Brothers. Oh, Not yeah, the sexiest pick, but it's a great pick. Yep. It is a great pick. Yep. It, it builds the foundation pick. for the next two. So, it's uh, All right, Tom. I'm going to go with – I tried to do one, like, one comedy – like one sport, one. Oh, here you comes know, an explanation. Mitch is not confident I'm, in his picks. No, this is no, this is a good one. Because I'm with you, Tom. My first like four on my original list were all comedies. I'm like, I can't do that. You gotta, you gotta mix it up a little bit. So my number one is Remember the Titans. 
Remember the Titans. Always a classic. Easy to put on. Emotional. Funny. You know, action. You get it all. It's great. Ooh, ha. There it is. Ooh, ha. Feel good. <laughs> Am I up? You're, You're up. up, Jack. Wedding Crashers. That was my substitute audible for Step Brothers if that was going to be picked at the one spot. So, great movie. Unreal classic. movie. Vince Vaughn, Owen Wilson is just a hilarious combo. You can't you beat it. You got to go. You're going to love it. <laughs> All right. Mine's going to be a little more action accompanied by some comedy in Glorious Bastards. Ooh, wow. That's a good one. Okay. That's a good. That's a great movie. It's it's, a great what's your two-hole, buddy? My two-hole? <laughs> my two-hole is, is a movie we watch every single year about a thousand times. And every single year we watch it. We're like, I'm never watching this fucking movie again. And then you end up watching it. So that's why I picked it. Napoleon Elf. Dunn. Elf. Will, Will Ferrell Elf. <laughs> I was going to get pick. into the, the Christmas selections and didn't know if that was uh, fair game or not. Oh, but yeah, Elf dude. is unreal. You get two months to just binge watch the same movies over and over again. All right, I'm going to do a little action to bring up my list, round out my list. I'm going Dark Knight. Ooh, Jack, we got, a, we got the same list, dude. I'm glad I picked like eight different ones. Okay. What are you guys' thoughts on Dark Knight? That's like, Great. I'm definitely um, Marvel over DC, if I'm saying that right, but that movie's outstanding. It Dark, is. Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, I will, if they're on TV, I will always put it on. Oh, just about over anything. Like, if that's on, I just love, I love watching the Joker do his thing. He's great. So, I'm going to get a little action, too. Round it out. Did comedy, dip my toe in comedy and action. And this one, you almost have to rewatch it to just understand it. And it's Inception. Oh, Tom. That was that was my next one. I'm yeah. with you, dude. It's one of those that you just don't know what the hell you just watched the first time. And you get almost more confused the more times you watch it because you start, you know, diving into some sort of rabbit hole. Um but yeah, I I had to go with it. It's a great great uh, third round out. Yeah, it's a good pick. I I had the same angle as you, Tom, on that one. That was going to be my next one because it's like you have to at least watch it four to five times to even know what the hell is going on. So yep. it's like it makes you rewatch it, even if you don't want to. You have to. Um, my last one is going to be I'm going to my four spot since my top three are taken. I'm going with Happy Gilmore. Yep. Happy Gilmore is a classic, and I love rewatching it. Any chance I get. Yep, that's an all-timer. I Okay, so we're done. In terms of what other picks I had that didn't make it, if I was going to go golf, it was going to be that or Caddyshack. And Caddyshack was definitely tipping, tipping uh, teasing a little bit there with uh, my list. And I didn't know if I wanted to put it in or not. But Happy Gilmore is a solid pick. Solid pick. What else did you guys have on the list? I'm not going to lie. I came to the ballpark with uh, three things today, and it worked. So, Wow, you're lucky. Wow, that's pretty confident, Jack. Yeah, I I had uh, some comedies on the back burner, but wasn't too confident in them. But uh, what are you guys' thoughts on on, um, people that yell at you for not seeing a specific movie? That sounds like that comes from the spot of someone who hasn't seen a lot of specific movies. Yeah, are Jack. You, are you first, first and foremost, are you a haven't seen movie shamed guy or no? 
I've there's been an emotional the connection there. There's an emotional connection there. I can see it. Well, let me put it this way. I I have a, Are a those list the on my app. Movies you've ever seen? Yeah, so I've only seen Miracle, <laughs> Wedding Crashers, Dark Knight. I just repeat. Good. Wash, rinse, repeat those three. Um, no, but I have a list on my phone, and the name of the list is movies that people yell at me for not seeing. And it's pretty much my way of saying, like, these movies are good. So I'm giving those movies credit, but I haven't actually seen them, so they haven't passed my test yet. But anyways, I started this list because I think it was like Billy Madison. Maybe years ago I didn't see Billy Madison, and I told somebody that. And they and they literally, like, stopped what they were doing, and they're like, what did you say? You haven't seen – you haven't seen Billy Madison? And they just yelled at me for like 30 seconds in a row. And I was like, uh, yeah, I haven't seen it, man. S- sorry. And then I just keep running this list. So it's gotten smaller. But I just don't think you should you should talk down on someone that hasn't seen a movie. It's just a movie. Chill out. So to be fair, I think maybe once you get into your 30s, that's a conversation that's okay to have. But up until now, I mean, most of us played sports growing up as kids. Um, a lot of people listen, you know, obviously went to college or were in high school and, um, just didn't have time after class, whether it was, they're doing sports, they're going out with friends to have two, three hours to watch a movie. So you throw on a quick, uh, episode of Netflix or two here and there, yep. right? Like, so TV shows, I feel like were so much more popular, but for me now I love sitting down and watching a good two hour movie. And I think Jack, to your point, that stems a lot from me, like not having seen all these movies when I was younger. And I, I, similar to you, have a list on my phone that I'm like, oh, I got to watch this or I've been recommended this, right? Um, because no one wants to be that guy bullied or the one that doesn't, you know, know the inside jokes from the movies when the guys are talking about it. You have to kind of, ha ha, yeah, you don't want to be, you don't want to be embarrassed when you, you have to say, I haven't seen that one. That's, uh, yep. yeah. So I agree with you. Um, but I My think point that, is that Plus Chirp is officially a non-movie shaming podcast. Yep. We welcome those who haven't seen all movies to join us on this journey. And maybe we'll throw out a list of movies we can all watch together. It'll be a book club or a movie club, so to speak. Yeah. But I just I disagree. I'd bully you, Jack. Yeah. Uh, for every, totally, every movie. Okay. It's just totally the guy that would just would just break your balls for not seeing like Harold and whatever Kimber, whatever White Castle. You've never seen movies, so you can't even come up with anything. I know Trevor's too nice. Miracle, so. Wedding Crashers, Dark Knight. <laughs> Trevor's, tre- Power. Trevor's, Power Trevor's so nice so that I'm going to say 75% of Plus Chirp is a non-shaming movie not watching podcast. That is yeah. inaccurate in terms of the way I wanted to phrase that, but we we <laughs> welcome all levels of experience with movies. So this week's episode's a little bit different. Shu was uh, busy talking to some prospects on the road. Um, so Jack sat down with, uh, NBC analyst, um, betting analyst that is, um, but Jack, do you mind just giving us a quick, you know, 15 second, you know, you know, blurb what we're going to be hearing on today's show for guests. Yeah, it probably won't be 15 seconds, but I, uh, sat down with our buddy, Sam Panianovich. It's a hell of a last name. Beauty. Uh, Mitch and I met him while we were at UIC. So he was doing media for us, um, and for the university while we were there, he was, he would call a lot of our games on ESPN three. Um, but he's always been really into the sports betting side, uh, of the industry. Like that's his job. He's not just like a degenerate gambler. It's his job to educate people on picks and things like that. So 
he spent time in Vegas. He was working for this company called Vsin. Um, and now he's back in Chicago and he's a, a sports betting analyst for um, NBC. So he's the real deal. And we were a touch late with this. We apologize. But we did tweet out um, the picks that he recommended for this season. And the ones that he were riding with was the Pirates win total over 24 and a half. The Indians win total over 32 and a half. And the Cubs win total under 32 and a half, which we 100% do not stand by as a show, but he was great. He spoke very detailed or in great detail about the season and just kind of how 60 games impacts betting and how the managers play a bigger role and the bullpens play a bigger role. It was super interesting. So I think you guys are really going to like it, but yeah, let's toss it over to Sam Panjanovic. All right, before we get to today's interview, I want to tell you guys about Hit Factory Athletics. Uh, we're all baseball guys here, softball girls here. We all have that one teammate that looks like they got dressed in the dark when they're not wearing their practice gear or their uniform. Um, and if you can't think of that teammate, then it's most likely you. So head over to hitfactoryathletics.com and you'll see sweatshirts, t-shirts, hats, backpacks, phone cases, even off-field training equipment like weighted bats and launch angle tees. Uh, they'll take care of you from head to toe. Find them on Instagram and Twitter at HitFactoryBSB or their website, which again is HitFactoryAthletics.com and use the code CHIRP for 15% off your purchase at checkout. All right, we're sitting down with a good friend of the program, Sam Panianovich, who is currently with NBC Sports as a betting analyst and the host of sports betting show, Chicken Dinner. Um, Sam, we're without Mitch for the conversation, but Mitch and I met you when we were playing at UIC and, and you were in media over there calling some of our home games on ESPN three. And I know you know where I'm going with this, but, um, what does, uh, April 18th, 2017 mean, 2017 mean to you? Well, I didn't remember the exact date, but I know exactly what you're asking me. And I think it's funny because I called a lot of championships over at UIC. I called a lot of wins. I saw you guys go to the tournament, but I feel like my tenure has been sort of marked with the uh, the Viterbo game when I got suspended for four games calling UIC play. I missed the Georgia Tech series. Jim Schmidt calls me up and goes, we got to suspend you. I'm like, go, oh, come on. Like Georgia Tech's coming to town. People are actually going to be watching these games. And he's like, Sam, I've talked to the, uh, the management team. I've talked to the leadership. You're suspended for four games. Okay, so go back and you put it in your terms of what happened when you're calling the game, and then I'll tell it from the player perspective. All right, so we're playing Viterbo. The score is, you know, 37 to 2. We're going into the sixth inning. You know, we're just, we're whooping their ass. And they're, you know, they're a small, I don't even know if they're NAIA or D3. I, I forgot. I blacked this out. But they were throwing Johnny Holstap that day. You know, they were just bringing guys in, bringing guys out. One of the kids, I think, pitched out of a wheelchair. You know, we're just we're pulling everybody out. And they, they brought this lefty in who was a freshman. So he's 18, 19 years old. I can't remember his name, but he's five seven, a buck forty, dripping wet. And he, he can't get the ball out of the plate. So I'm watching him throw in warm-ups and he's scuffing them 58, 59 feet. You know, he can't get it to the mitt. So I welcome it back. I'm like, back at Granderson Stadium, it's 41 to 8 right now, top of the fifth. And new so-and-so hasn't thrown one strike in warm-ups. And as I say that, remember, I'm talking, but you have the, the visual. You can see the screen. 
So as I say, he didn't throw one strike in warm-ups. He throws the first pitch of the inning to, like, the backstop. And I, I remember just sitting there, and it's like three, four seconds of dead air. And I open the mic and go, well, if you had dinner plans tonight, you may want to cancel them. Because ironically enough, I had a date that night, and I'm thinking I can make dinner at 8 o'clock. This was a 4 o'clock first pitch. And, you know, it's we're in the fifth inning. It's already 7.30. So I was just frustrated. I mean, they weren't any good. You guys just pounded them. Um, but, yeah, I, I went at them all in. The kid, I think he walked the bases loaded and then gave up a grand slam to Rico Ramirez. And, and then they pulled him. And I think that was like a five-hour game, man. Oh, my God. It was – well, because the way it works in college baseball is you have those – you know, they're not necessarily tune-up games, but those midweek games to keep everyone fresh. And uh, is it is it Viterbo? I always thought it was Viterbo. I have no idea how to pronounce it. Does it even matter? No. But they came to our place, and, and you're right. They were a D3 program or NAI program. And it was just one of those games where both sides were throwing their entire bullpen. None of their guys could find the zone. And then... I mean, it was a long game, and we smoked them. And then, and then the next day, we got to the clubhouse, and I don't know how we found out about it, but someone just said like Sam got suspended after the broadcast. Uh, so, yeah. what actually happened after the game? Like, how long did it take for you to get contacted by the university? Because I thought I heard that one of their fans like wrote in or something like that. Here was the issue. This is why I got handcuffed and thrown in the back of a paddy wagon. The problem was Viterbo slash Viterbo, they had never played any of their games on radio or television anywhere. So for them to come to the city of Chicago and play on ESPN3, that was like a big deal for their program. They had like a watch party at a restaurant, is what I was told. And all the parents, like they're all like, you know, because they're all from that small pocket in Wisconsin. I think, I think Coach D's from up there where Viterbo's from. So like they had all kind of people – you know, sitting around watching the game and like they were getting frustrated because I was like going at some of their kids. Now, you know, my thing is, look, if you're a college baseball player, mommy and daddy shouldn't be upset if you get critiqued, especially if you can't field a routine ground ball or you can't, you know, throw a strike or something. So it was like the perfect storm. But I guess one of the parents sent an initial email, Jando, like eight paragraphs, how unprofessional I am. I can't believe the university stands for this. So the story that I got is that the athletic department at UIC, they just got like 15 of those emails. Like I think she passed them along. It was like a chain. So Jim Schmidt gets to work next morning and has 15 emails about how unprofessional their broadcast is. So he called me and just said, look, you know, we're going to we're going to suspend you for four games and miss Georgia Tech. And I had to write a letter of apology to the entire program and their entire athletic department. So. Yeah, it was pretty shitty, man. It sucked. No way. Yeah. It's like getting in trouble in school. Um, all right, well, that might do it for our for our UIC talk. Want to get to some MLB stuff? Well, I, can I just say this? Because I know you guys aren't going to toot your own horns, you and Mitch. I, I think, you know, I covered a lot of teams and was around a lot of teams over the years. And it started with college basketball and then it turned into baseball and then got to be around a lot of good teams. Um, at the college level, you guys were the most fun. That 17 Flames team, when you guys, I was looking at the book this morning, you guys had 39 wins going into the tournament, won the Horizon League. You know, you're, you're in Mississippi going toe-to-toe with Southern Miss and Mississippi State. But I just feel like that group, and I don't know how much you guys talk about this off the air, but 
I feel like everything went right. You know, that infield, if you were a pitcher on that team, you trusted your defense. You guys were, you guys sucked up everything, you know, ground ball, fly ball. I mean, up the middle with Bo and Decro, they were, they were like twins. They were like symbiotic. Um, you guys would turn two, I felt like three, four times a game. The group was fun. You guys were eating M&Ms and stuff before the game. And it just, I felt like, <laughs> I felt like that group got along together and it was like a culmination of like three years of growth, but also adding the right younger guys. It was just a really good club. Yeah. You know, we, we do talk about it a lot and we probably talk about it too much, like on the show even, but that's true. We talk about it all the time because with college baseball recruiting, the way that junior college has become so dominant across the country, a lot of those kids get pulled to these bigger programs to be an impact player for one season. And we didn't really have that. I mean, we had Alex Padilla close and we had Connor Ryan thrown in the seventh inning. But like you said, besides that, top to bottom, that entire roster was four-year guys. And it was just a, a culmination of becoming really, really good friends off the field. And we just happened to be sick at baseball, you know, so that that's a pretty good combo. Yeah, pitching and defense, I always think those are the two most important facets of the game and other guys would say you know offense is more important but if you can pitch the ball catch the ball and keep the other team off the base pass um you're you're in for a good run and, and that that team was super fun to be around that's why i'm still pissed that i missed uic georgia tech i didn't even watch the games i don't even know what happened <laughs> i think we split i think i didn't throw that weekend because we got rained out but we won on friday and we lost on sunday i believe okay. i think we won on a i think we won on a pass ball walk off <laughs> you guys like Michigan that year I mean it just everything went right that year it was a lot of fun yeah it was a lot of fun um all right let's get to MLB stuff so we're, we're recording this um July 23rd opening night of take two of the MLB season and you know sports betting not necessarily baseball but sports betting is just your world um how does the 60 game season impact betting today like what's different from 162 versus 60 obviously teams can get hot or cold out of the gate but from the betting side what does the regular season schedule change well it changes a lot of the exotic bets i mean you still have your traditional who's going to win the world series who wins the pennant who wins the division none of that stuff has really changed i think the numbers have moved a little bit but it's pretty much the same the win totals have been recalibrated so we're not playing 162 we're playing 60 so, like, the White Sox win total was 84, 84 and a half. Um, going into 60 games, it's down to 31 and a half or 32. So they've had to adjust those numbers. But a lot of the fun bets, like who will lead the league in home runs, uh, how many times will the Astros get hit by a pitch this year, a lot of those fun 162 game bets have just been struck from the record because, I mean, to be honest, it's just too hard to, to figure out. Like, you know, like the home run leader, I saw one of those props, like, you know, Will anybody hit over or under, I think it was 30 and a half home runs. That's any player in the league. Will anybody go over or under 30 and a half? But they had individual props for the full book for 162. So it was like, how many hits will Mike Trout have? How many strikeouts will Max Scherzer have? A lot of those like centralized individual prop bets have just been pushed, pushed aside because bookmakers don't know. I mean, there are a lot of things we don't know. You can get away with, you know, having teams to win the, the World Series at 12, 14, 18 to 1 or whatever. But if you take a Max Scherzer prop and one of the math guys just finds a, an avenue to just whack you and just bet one way or the other, 
they just feel like they're too liable. And it's too hard in a 60-game pandemic season when you also have no idea which guys are going to test positive. I mean, if somebody tests positive and they're an everyday batter, um, you know, their total on doubles or homers or runs scored is going to be severely altered by them just not being available because of a virus. So a lot of those cool, exotic props have been pushed aside. But a lot of the stuff is just the same. They just had to move some of the numbers. And a lot of the win totals have been sort of cut in half or maybe cut down by 60%. So what are your thoughts on picking favorites? Because the ideology of these, like, for example, you're a Sox fan. Sox are in a great position now because they've got a lot of untapped talent that's already playing well. So if they get out to, you know, say they get out to like a 13 and three start or whatever it is, they're in the driver's seat seemingly if they continue to play well. Is, in your opinion, the play to go with a young team that could just get hot and go on a run or kind of take like the veteran team, maybe the Cubs, you know, just to play devil's advocate that has been there before, won recently, a lot of veterans? I think you can go in any direction. It all depends on the situation and, more importantly, the price. Um, I've been asked a lot in the last two weeks here in Chicago, yeah, do the White Sox have value to win the World Series? And I say no, because they don't. Um, comparatively speaking, when I bet the White Sox to win the World Series in November, they were 60 to 1. So $100 at 60 to 1, that's a pretty nice payout. Problem is, then they start to make all these moves. And then the market went to 50 to 40 to 30. And, and one book in Vegas now has the White Sox at 20 to 1. There's not value, relatively speaking, because now everybody's betted down. And now everybody's thought, like Dave Kaplan picked the White Sox to win the I'm Like Dave Kaplan's a Cub fan, you know? And he's like, well, I, I think it's a good bet. It's not a good bet at 20, 25 to 1. Uh, but conversely speaking, like I wouldn't mind laying a small price on the Yankees to win the American League East. I think minus 300 is steep. I don't like doing it. And this is the old debate, like how much chalk is too much? You know, three to win one is not usually good, but I don't think anybody else in that division is going to sneak past the Yankees. And they proved that last year, how deep they are. Um, I mean, half their lineup was on the shelf and they still almost won 100 games. Um, so I, I don't mind like the dominant teams at a good price. Like I think the Yankees to win the East should be minus 500, minus 600. Uh, it's minus 300, though, because you still have the Red Sox. People love to bet the Red Sox as underdogs. There are some flyers right now on the Blue Jays to maybe be a dark horse. But I feel like that Yankee price is relatively cheap. They're the favorite. They're the chalk. But I sort of like my chances because my number is a lot higher, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And you mentioned dominant teams, and, and you actually had a pretty detailed Twitter discussion with some people about the Dodgers being at minus 1,600 to make the playoffs. So what's your argument to not necessarily bet heavy on favorites like that well that's just a ridiculous bet because you're tying up 16 times your money for two months in a pandemic and something that you just had no idea what's going to happen and i love that write-up on that site the guy and this is like a big network too um he's like well i don't exactly know what's going to happen this year but you should bet 1600 no no fucking shit the dodgers are going to make the playoffs i mean come on it's it's such a bad bet to tie up $1,600 to win $100. And, th and that was my issue. Like, don't don't tell all these rookie bettors. And that's what's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of rookie bettors and new bettors that are going to come in and read that and go, oh, yeah, the Dodgers will make the playoffs, and then bet that. And what happens if half the team gets corona? Or if Kershaw's back goes out, Turner gets hurt? You know, you just, you just don't know. 
they're probably going to make the playoffs. There's a 97% chance, according to those numbers. But there is a chance that they don't. And if you bet 1600 to win 100 and lose, that could cripple your bankroll. I'm going to like to bet the Dodgers on a day-to-day market when they're minus 200, when they're minus 250. But to lay 1600 in a pandemic, in a roulette wheel of a season, I just think you have better options. And that's why I got so triggered. And if you saw that tweet, I mean, it's still getting traction three days later. I mean, it's still getting popped uh, as far as the, uh, the interaction with that. So I, I feel like it was a good talking point because I'm not talking to professional bettors. I mean, professional bettors, they have the money to lay 1600 You know, a lot of people don't. You know, they're going to get crippled by a losing $1,600 bet on the favorite side. So I'm just trying to talk to the people that are going to start betting. Like, don't be dumb with your money. It's very important. So not to put you on the spot, but if you if you were having a conversation with someone that was thinking about, you know, in that scenario, taking the Dodgers minus 1600 to make the playoffs, what do you advise they do instead with their money? I would look at a couple of teams that are maybe down the page a bit. I mean, maybe like the Cincinnati Reds to make the postseason. You get a plus price. So rather than lay 16 to win 100, you put down 100 to win maybe 300 or 400. You're getting a better return on your investment because you're turning 100 into something more. You're not turning a big amount into 100. Uh, One of the teams I really like this year, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of spitting around here because we've got different markets, right? You got the will they make the playoffs prop. You got the win total prop. I think there are two teams that are sort of undervalued this year. This isn't going to win you exponential money because it's a straight bet. You know, it's minus 110 each way. But I think two teams that are really underrated going into this year are the Pittsburgh Pirates. Their win total is 24 and a half. There's so much talk about the Cubs and the Cardinals every year. And now the Reds are the sexy team in the division. Uh, I think the Pirates are going to be a lot better. And I think that rebuild is sort of is starting to go up and to the right. They're not going to win 30 or 35 games, but I could see them win 25. And I think that market is very attainable. I think they can get to 25 wins in a 60-game season. I think they can get you know, to 26, 27, 28. So I like the number, and I like the upside with the club. They got rid of a lot of those vets that kind of stunk up the joint and then didn't care anymore. I think that team is going to be young, fresh, exciting, which also plays into a 60-game season. Uh, the other team... Kind of, kind of keep it similar here. In the AL Central, all the talk is about the Twins, who won 100 games last year, and the White Sox, who are now everybody's sleeper to make a run. We forget about Terry Francona, an awesome pitching staff, a pretty good defense, and a nice pedigree with the Cleveland Indians. Their win total, I see 32 and a half or 33. I think those two teams are going to play better than people believe, and that's really what you're trying to do. You're trying to find an inefficiency in a bad number. I think the pirate number is really bad. I'm going over 24 and a half. I think the Indian number is just a little too low. I like t- Tito alone is good for, I think, five, six wins, just with his brains and his, his knack for making the right call. So I like Pittsburgh over 24 and a half, and I like Cleveland over 32 and a half wins. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because we talked about this a couple weeks ago on the show, but the 60-game season, I, I think when you play – 162 games that the best teams are going to just prevail, right? That with the most talent over that course of, of a season, the better team's going to come out on top more times than not. In a 60-game season, the manager, the DH, the bullpen, all plays a huge role. So is there is there a way that a, a gambler should try to process that? Like you mentioned, 
Francona probably just with his skill set and his familiarity with the game and being a manager, probably five or six games just based off of knowing what to do situationally. You know, so is that why you lean towards them or? Yeah, I don't like a lot of bad managers. Like, you're never going to see me, like, salivating the run to the window and bet a Mike Matheny over. That's never going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I felt like, if anything, those Cardinal teams, you know, should have won even more when he was there. But he gets credit for the, you know, the big wins they did have in the World Series and everything. Um, I think bullpen is very important this year. And I think there's a team on the other side of town here that I, you know, they have a lot of milk carton guys. And by that, I mean, you have a lot of guys you don't know about. And that's... That's scary, I think. It should be if you're a Cub fan because long gone are the days of Araldis Chapman and Wade Davis and Pedro Strope. Um, you know, you used to have a nice seven, eight, nine set for a handful of years. And now, I, you know, is it Craig Kimbrell who is going to still carry the mail? He didn't have a good season last year. Um, I thought he was I thought he was kind of flat with the fastball. He, he didn't have the rise or the velocity that he once had. So and I don't know what the bridge is. I mean, Theo talks about the woods. You know, the Underwoods and the Norwoods and the uh, Dylan Maples. Um, does that does that make you excited for Cubs bullpen? I, it doesn't make me excited. And then you have a guy in David Ross who's never handled a bullpen before. So I think good bullpens and bad bullpens, I think it's very clear who they are. And I think you'll know. I mean, what do you think? You think after 20 games, you know who the good bullpens are out of a 60-game season? I think 20 in that, in that sample size, I think after 20 games, you'll be able to know. And I wouldn't be betting on teams that have bad bullpens because so many games in Major League Baseball are lost because starters only go five, six now. And then you rely on three or four other guys to get those last couple outs or that last handful of outs. And a lot of times they give it right back. So, yeah, I'm looking at your, your better bullpens. Of course, every year is different, but I would key in on teams with good bullpens, you know, after about 15, 20 games. Go to ESPN, go to Fox, go to NBC, look at the stats, look who has the best bullpen ERA. And I would probably bet on those teams more than I would bet on the teams that have ERAs in the six out of the pen. Yeah. And before we get to some of the picks that you recommend for the season, I want to go back to what you said about kind of picking some of those teams that are a little bit down the page, middle of the pack, bottom tier. You mentioned Pittsburgh having a really low uh, win total. And off air, we were talking about Baltimore having a really low win total. So how do you break down, um, you know, the better of the shitty teams and who to go with? It's a good way to put it. So let me just throw the numbers <laughs> at you first. And I'm kind of going around the page here because I've got, I don't have them in numerical or I've got them alphabetical. But the Orioles number is 20 and a half or 21. That's their win total. Uh, the Detroit Tigers, 21 and a half. Uh, looking at the Pirates, I mentioned 24 and a half. Mariners, 24 and a half. Miami Marlins, 24 and a half. So there's five teams that have pretty bad win totals. They're saying you're only going to win 24 out of 60, so you're going to lose 35 plus. In the Orioles' case, you might lose 40. Um, I would be careful looking at low numbers and just going, oh, they'll get to 22 because they're going to have 19 wins with six games to go, and they're going to play the Yankees and the Red Sox. You know, like, do you want to be in that position? Uh, I wouldn't. But I, I think even the Miami Marlins, like, I kind of like the Marlins a little bit. But then you have to face the Braves. You have to face, you know, the Nationals. You have to face the Mets offense and their rotation. Then you face all the AL East teams. I guess if I had to take one, as you put it, shitty team to go over, um, <laughs> I guess it's – I hate saying this. I guess it's the Mariners at 24 and a half because 
I don't know about the Astros this year. I, I worry about them losing Cole and a lot of that, you know, next man up type stuff. It doesn't work the way people think it does. You still have Verlander and Granke, but, you know, three, four, five is a lot worse than it was last year and the year before. So I think maybe the Astros give a little bit back. I think the Angels are a little overrated. So maybe the Mariners can find 25 wins. So they have a lot of young guys uh, and a lot of unknowns, but that plays into the point that I think you brought up that, you know, if you're 23, four, five years old and you're coming up and you're playing in a pandemic and you're just having a blast and the team starts, you know, 10 and six or 15 and eight and, and they sort of coast, they can get to 25 wins. I, I don't see a world where it's that unfathomable. Um, but again, of those five teams, I don't love any of those overs, really. Um, I just think you have to pick the right one in the right division where you might have some value. And I think of those teams, I think Seattle might be that team. Yeah, because what you what you just said is how my dumb, uneducated gambling brain would work. I would I would look at the over unders and I would just say like, oh my god, you're telling me that Baltimore, like this collection of 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 athletes, can't find a way to win twenty damn games this year. Like they have to, botch ground balls, weird plays, pandemic, no fans, cardboard cutouts behind home plate. They have to win. Like, but they don't. They just suck. So is the is the value in the middle of the pack? Uh, no, I mean, everything is everything is relative to the situation. But I didn't mean to cut you off. But it's like the problem with the Orioles is they're going to lose more games than they're going to win. And by that, I mean, like those those games, like I had a scout a long time ago in a buck 62, you know, you're going to play 30 really good games. and You're going to play 30 really bad games. So that leaves you with 100, and that's really, you know, the indicator. How do you play in those 100? Some guy knocked it up and said 60 and 60. You're good for 60, you're really bad for 60, and then you have the rest. I think of those middle games, like we know the Orioles are going to have, they're going to have 10 good games this year. They're going to have 10 really bad games, if not more. What do they do in the middle 40? And unfortunately, they're going to give away more games of the 40 than they're going to steal. You know, they're not going to they're not going to get on base, do the right hit and run and then get the guy over, get him in. That That's just not going to happen with that team. It's going to happen more with the Indians and I think more with, you know, the teams in the 30 range, like the Cardinals or the Brewers. They're going to manufacture more wins than the bad teams are going to. Like they might deserve to have 30 wins, the Orioles, but they might only end up with 20. And that's just because fundamentally and aesthetically, they're just they're not good and they lose more games than they win. Okay, spin zone, the Orioles are used to playing in front of empty stadiums. So are the White Sox. I've heard that quite a bit. Oh, 20%, that means, uh, oh, okay, it sounds like a White Sox game. I'm like, yeah, sweet. I haven't heard that enough in the last yeah, right. two. Uh, I, I hear your spin zone. My spin zone is pull up the Orioles lineup. There's my spin zone. Pull up the rotation. <laughs> pull up the general manager. Um, you know, I can I can fight fire with fire, baby. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, um, but – they're still pretty bad. Um, I, I'm not betting. If you want to bet, Jando, if you want to fire over 20 and a half, 21 wins with the Orioles, get froggy, man. You know, get wet. Go for it. I'm not doing it. Yeah, no, I'm taking your, I'm taking your advice there. All right. So, uh, you know, point the listeners in kind of the, your thought process this season. What are you confident in? What do you like going into the 60 game season betting wise? Sure. So I already, you know, pretty much talked about the two that I like. I really do like the Pittsburgh over 24 and a half. Uh, it's a team that's under the radar that should be a lot better. I think they're going to win at least 27 games this year. 
with a chance for maybe 30 if things break their way. I like the Pittsburgh over 24 and a half. I like the Indian over. I see a lot of 33, but I also see a couple 32 and a half. Always shop around. Why would you go over 33 when you can go over 32 and a half? Win with 33. Don't tie with 33. So I like over 32 and a half there. And uh, this might crush some people in your audience and maybe even on the show. But I think that Cub number is a little too inflated. Um, I, I think at 32 and a half with a rookie manager that's never done it before. I mean, it's hard for him to cross over. He used to drink tequila with those guys, a lot of those guys. He was friends with a lot of those guys. And now you have to hold him accountable in year one in a pandemic. I think there's a lot of things not to like. You have so many guys on one-year deals. Bryant, Baez, Schwarber, Contreras, Rizzo wants an extension. He's not getting it. Is Quintana healthy? Is he not? Does the bullpen do anything this year? I think there are way too many unknowns. But you're paying that tax on the Cubbies. You're always going to pay that premium on Chicago. Uh, I think 32 and a half is too many wins. I've got them at 30 and 30, 31 and 29. I think the number is too high. They might get a wild card chance, but I just don't believe in the depth of the pitching staff. And I think there are too many things in that locker room that could erode. So Cubs under 32 and a half would be my last one. Yeah, that's very fair because you talk about teams getting off to a hot start. But, you know, what if they get off to a cold start and they got all those variables, new manager, guys on one year deals, things like that. So that's very fair. Um, all right. Wrapping up here, I actually wanted to kind of to give you some some credibility to the audience because you've actually been in the gambling world for quite a long time. You were in Vegas for a little bit. Now you're back in Chicago. Can you give us like the Reader's Digest of what you've done over the last five, 10 years in the gambling community? Well, it started running the NCAA bracket pools in high school. So we're going back some time now, uh, a lot older than you guys. But I think it goes back to 2016 when I used to read updates on WGN Radio and I was covering college and reporting on pro and then anchoring on the weekends. And I remember, I think I said something like, you know, the Bears are favored by so-and-so this weekend in Tennessee. And I got called into the manager's office, one of the managers, and they said, yeah, we don't know about giving the point spread. You know, we don't think it's... I don't think it's above board. So I knew at that point that that was, number one, incorrect. And number two, a lot of people do care about the point spread. So Joe Ostrowski at The Score and I started a podcast called Chicken Dinner, which will be back this August. Please listen if you're a gambler. Um, we started to do that show. We did a couple seasons, and then that got us both out to Vegas. Uh, Joe was able to stay here and work remotely. I moved out there to work at Beeson. So I think just – going for it and knowing that there was a market for guys like us that like to throw 25, 50, 75, 100 bucks on a game because we want to have the best information. And we want to also have fun talking about it. Um, you know, we want to laugh at our bad beats and make fun of each other. And when Cam Newton gets sacked eight times after he wears the, you know, the hat and the rat tail, like it's, you know, to me, I like that kind of stuff. So we like to keep it light, keep it fun. But it all started with that show, Chicken Dinner, which We'll be back and, I, you know, carry it through to Vegas. And now everybody everybody that wouldn't talk to me about gambling in 2016 is wanting to talk about gambling in 2020. So it all sort of came full circle, uh, but just went for it, chased the dream. And now we're in a market where there's going to be a lot more jobs and a lot more money than in some of the other things that I used to do, uh, you know, like calling games or, you know, now broadcasters are going to be in their studios. They're not even going to games. They're cutting travel budgets. Reporters aren't traveling. And the betting industry is only getting bigger and bigger. So I think it was the right move, and I'm glad it worked out the way it did. Love that. Well, Sam, thank you for coming on. Thank you for giving us an inside look at uh, what's going to be a weird and unpredictable season, especially on the gambling side. And hopefully, you know, throughout the course of 60 games, we can have you back on for updates. Anytime. Thanks for having me, man. Peace. Of course.